Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. We're live. Welcome to your Full of Dirt podcast. Uh, you know, every week, usually, uh, I and Liam Poach in Salem, Massachusetts, and Craig Rodelli up in New York uh, come to you to talk about rugby. Usually on Monday nights, um, sometimes other nights, but uh, here we are. Uh, Liam is bartending because um, you got to make that money. Uh, but Craig and I, we will uh, get down to business tonight. How was your week, Craig? It was great. It's a great week. Led into a three-day weekend, which is always nice. Um, but I think this is a great, uh, great rugby weekend. Uh, you know, we did a uh, we did a Valentine's Day date on Sunday night. Uh, nice. Saw Little Women with my wife. Oh and, wow! Uh, Very good. Did you? She, did, you did prefer the, the original version? Okay, I was going to ask: Is your wife? Uh, has she seen the original? Um, she has. I, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen the original. Uh, so oh. I, didn't, I thought it was fine, but she uh, she oh. felt this was lacking compared to the the original. Aren't you from a house of like all young men? Isn't that me? Uh, it's just me and my sister. And oh, and never mind. Like, never mind. Okay. Yeah, but Jackie had grew up. My wife Jackie grew up with uh, four. You know, she was one of four sisters. Literally in the land of women. Uh, I would say I saw the original um, be mostly because of my mom and sister. And, you know, that's the, the way it went. Uh, but, you know, I haven't seen it. I don't plan to see this one uh, because remakes are just getting – they're just getting in my – we're out of idea for new movies. We can only go back and remake the old ones now. Yeah. Uh, interesting stuff in rugby. There's a bunch of legal stuff. Uh, I know that. Uh, so we a topic that we will touch on is a question that was asked about players from the championship that can come to the United States. And I think that's actually a great, uh, a great topic to talk about. But apparently – and this is uh, the RFU due to a variety, I said variety and great quantity of deliverables that the championship was unable to uh, deliver uh, when it came to uh, developing English qualified players, developing English coaches and exp- and growing the game. So mostly focusing, I think more towards the under 18 level, just increasing participation uh, championship clubs that received a great subsidy. Uh, they did not get, I would like to point out that, uh, you know, there are, hmm, so there's a challenge going on in, in the world of rugby that there isn't enough money coming into the game. We're seeing this in uh, seeing this in New Zealand. We're seeing this in South Africa. We're seeing this in we're seeing this in uh, Australia. And the game is like not generating enough money at the top level, apparently, to go down to the grassroots. Uh, well, the, the game at the top level, uh, the Eagles, they don't they don't make money in the United States, so they, there's no ability to to do a reach back and subsidize. Well, 
And part of this is because of the structure. Like all of these countries have put made primacy of the national team in the game, right? Whereas in France, uh, you you have primacy of the club game. Like the national team still means something, but the clubs uh, they play they play a different style of ball with the union. Um, but in I would say in England especially, well, the Pro Fourteen Super Rugby. The majority, oh, how do I put this? The majority of rugby competitions in the world are subsidized by their national federation, whether that's the RFU, the Welsh Rugby Union, the Scottish Rugby Union, the Irish Rugby Union, the New, and New Zealand Rugby Union. Majority, the top level professional competitions get great subsidy through the the I would say the governmental structures of the game. There are only two leagues in the world that I know of that don't get any subsidy from their rugby football union. <laughs> Guess which two those are. Well, it can't be USA rugby because, you know, that is the most well-run central uh, non-governing body ever to come into existence. Uh, <laughs> I refuse to believe that they can't be uh, – they'd be one of those two un- unfortunate names. Well, well, Major League Rugby does not receive any subsidy from uh, from USA Rugby to, to do much of anything. Uh, if anything, we are just plowing – the ma- owners of Major League Rugby are just plowing, plowing millions of dollars of development – into the game at the professional level and even towards the grassroots owners of major league rugby. Yeah. And then the other one is of course uh, the top 14, but not just the top 14, but pro de deux league national de rugby LNR as their organization is called. Uh, they, they received no money from, uh, from France rugby. Whereas, so I guess the championship was receiving something along the lines of like a million and uh, no, it was like five hundred thousand pounds a year uh, per club in the championship. And if you go look at the agreement, the the Premiership clubs um, agreed in twenty fifteen to a deal with the RFU for what equates to it was one hundred twenty million pounds. It equates to like thirty five million dollars a year in what is basically a subsidy for operational costs. It's mostly a rental fee. And it's contractual, and the Premiership says we will develop English players, and the RFU is saying, well, we want those players. So basically, a team gets about, you know, a third of their wage bill, um, a little over, uh, like thirty-five percent, so a little over a third of their wage bill, in theory, is covered by RFU monies. Um, but that's just for act. They want access to the players, but. I wonder where rugby would be on the professional scale if there wasn't that kind of crazy subsidy in, you know, in the pro 14, well, the union, the competition is owned by the union. So it's a little bit different, but. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's a little of a miss, you know, not apples to apples to say where professional rugby wasn't subsidized by the union. In those cases, those unions have national teams that are professional that actually earn money that allows for that type of subsidy. So, I mean, they, you know, it's professional from the top down, including the national team. So they, they can have a subsidy where we're professional, but not, not in the way that we're making money that could actually be rerouted into MLR. 
And, and, and in a way, like the contractual relationship between the premiership and the RFU, um, there's a reason for that. It's like not only so clubs have to give up their players during the regulation nine um, international windows, but they don't have to give up their players outside of that. And the RFU has sought to, um, you know, invest in national academy structures that are run through premiership clubs and also want access to players outside of international windows. And, and one way to do that is to pay for that. So I know that the, the RFU is now cutting championship funding and there's a reason for that. And I think, I don't think there's enough money in the game, the way it is structured in England um, to even give you the same thing as France, because it's, you know, they've evolved separately. Most teams in pro de do pro de de can go up and commercially kind of succeed. They have the facilities, they have all the other stuff. And it's just the RFU is cutting back the budget. I, I think that the, even the fees to the premiership could uh, be, be cut back as well because they, they over the RFU overspent mostly on Twickenham. I think they have 40, a lot of money on construction. And well, the RFU community budget two years ago when he hasn't gone back to community game and well, um, I mean, the championship isn't making me invest. The owners of the championship clubs aren't making the investment so that every single club has the ability to go up. Some clubs are making that investment. And like Cornish Pirates, they will have a 12,000 seat stadium uh, in a couple of years. But most of the others, I mean, you have got like this stuff. Uh, it, it pisses me off for the players because you have teams that aren't getting them proper insurance. Just crazy. And they're they're not making enough money. And it's, it's, it's intense. And then you have a lot of U.S. players. Like the championship has been a great place where U.S. players could make a decent wage playing professional rugby and it has been an avenue for professionalism. And, and now that avenue probably gets cut back uh, because of this. Um, so, yeah, there's that. But that now be a, a, a blessing in disguise for MLR. Yeah. If uh, MLR becomes a more attractive alternative to players at that level, you know, it's kind of the almost replacement of champions league. We'll see if that, that dynamic develops at all, but I, I could definitely see, some people uh, wedging off from the championship to now come back or come to MLR for the first time. Yeah, it's it, it'll be pretty good, I think. Over you know, it, as things stabilize on our end, it will be attractive for American players that are, could make higher wages. They'll they'll come back um, and they'll play, and maybe even attract the English sort of American qualified players to to play here but uh moving on to to major league rugby craig what do you think of the weekend loved it this is a great weekend this might be my favorite overall across the board weekend that i can recall in mlr history i mean everyone knows at this point if, if you're listening to this podcast you probably follow mlr closely enough to have realized that there were something very close to consensus picks across the board on this show I think we all had almost the same picks with one slight variation. The you know the US rugby official set of picks all picked the same winners. Of those six matches, three of them went the other way. 
uh, showing you how crazy and just how much parity there really is. And they were oh, and they were exciting games too. I mean, two games, two games this week ended when somebody held up in the in goal. I mean, yeah. that, yeah, that, that was- is crazy exciting, and uh, I was just glad to be able to to witness it. Yeah, that was that was pretty intense. Uh, especially the second one, I was like, "Wow, uh, that that it's just uh, it, it generated a lot of conversation on Twitter. People are saying they should change the law. The attacking team, a game sh- if the a game should not end if the team who is behind or whatever and is attacking and you know they get held up in the goal. Like, well, that's that's good defense, right?" I mean, you have to touch the ball down. Like, yeah, get the ball down. Trailing should score their <laughs> points within 80 minutes. They don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So, I think it, they were crazy endings. Uh, do I? I think they were correct. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I thought with the, the well, with the Houston one, the guy was definitely in the try zone. Yeah. I have, but I have no idea. Like it didn't yeah. look like he got it down. Like you didn't I, see from the, I, I don't based on the angles available, it didn't yeah. look like he got it down. He might have. But, I just couldn't even tell. You saw yeah. dive forward. There, I don't think on TV there was any way to tell. Yeah. It was that. it was difficult. Uh, in the I would say in the DC game, I thought he was short. It was really hard to tell, and there was a lot of chatter about the lines that were painted into the field. Well, I will say Toronto is the only team that apparently decided to spray paint the white football lines and all the other football, all the other lines on their their home pitch green. So at least it was, although you could tell on the broadcast that they were there, they weren't interfering with the rugby lines. And guess what? I, there were. If you complained about it, and you're a Seattle SeaWolves fan. Come on. You guys have blue lines on your pitch for like a year and a half. Yeah. A year and a half. And it was so hard to tell. And who's oh. the uh, – one of the pigeons oh. has the like the football thick white line. That's football or soccer out of bounds or whatever it is, but it's in play for this. Oh, yeah, that's awful. Um, so there were some things. My parents were going into touch. I'm like, nope, that's apparently in bounds here. There were some things about that pitch that needed to change. Um, I think that we should work on some washable paint for the, for the non-rugby lines, paint them green, and then so we go with white lines for rugby lines. But my bigger concern was all the track and field equipment and the benches – we're literally right next to the touchline, like all of that stuff. So that was dangerous. That needs to change for me. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, you tweeted about this uh, late in the week when the USA Rugby picks came out. Is like the theme about Major League Rugby in the first two years has been parody. That's it. Like that's it. And you know, I I I took a chance this week. I won't be taking a chance. Uh, this next week uh, on a team because, uh, you know, I just thought injuries and the way a team played the week before would really struggle. But guess what? Austin hasn't given anyone hope yet, so uh, don't pick them and pick them. Um, yeah, they scored 31 points this week. That's pretty- I, no, that was, that was, that was really nice. Uh, I, I think that I need to look. Is that – have they, in the these two games have they scored as many points as they scored as last year? Oh God, because <laughs> that they might have. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, I agree, Doug. Um, Doug Coyle writes in, the hardest thing for clubs is closing out a match. Credit to Old Glory. Um, Credit indeed to Old Glory. So uh, really to to go in on game one, um, so – before we touch that, the rundown is uh, we're going to do a week two review. Then we're going to review our picks. Then we are going to uh, make picks for next week and also uh, a- answer some questions. So with game one, um, New England 33, victor- victory in the hands of the Warriors with 39 points. And there you had it. One game and the consensus picks were ready completely ditched. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know if new England is good or bad. I, 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 to me, it's still even two weeks in very difficult to get a read. Now this week they were missing probably their three most key players. So I guess you have to, in a sense, give them the benefit of the doubt whenever those three return, but they were missing tag leader, the fly F they were missing their, uh, international Japanese prop. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it. Kensuke. Hatakayama. Yeah. I think, I think and, I got uh, I don't know. and the, uh, you know, Bodine Waka, who uh, was the star of week one. So uh, a lot of pieces missing for New England. Still hard to reconcile that side who lost to the Warriors this week with the team that routed New York in week one. Um, and you knew so little about them coming into the year. So. I think Utah's played pretty well both their games, and I'm I'm happy for them they got this win. I think the jury is still really out on New England for me, and uh, they're they're the biggest question mark for me going forward. Where I just really have no idea where to place them. This was a very interesting game. Uh, you know, I think the the kicking game forced. Uh, forced Utah to make a lot of ground, but they, they made a lot of positive meters. They had 751 meters gain. They also had like almost twice as many hit ups and more line breaks. And they just really passed the ball around. They had 121 pass in this game. Weirdly though, the, their turnover ratio was pretty bad. They were 14 to 10. Uh, but the thing that really hurt new England was, uh, was their penalty count. Yeah. I think I need to look. Uh, do I have? Yes, I. And Hagen Schulte is just drilling. So, interestingly, I thought the Gilgronies had like 30-some penalties. They they did not. They had less than, I mean, different game, but they had less than um, than New England. And Hagen Schulte, man, he had a great performance from the boot uh, with – He's got to be the points leader in MLR right now, right? Yeah. Two weeks. I would need to take a look, but I'm I'm pretty sure uh, with that. But just the penalties were really bad. And here's the interesting thing, and this this says a lot. When you can force a team to make a lot of tackles. So Utah didn't have to make a lot of tackles. They only made 88. Well, New England had to make 142. So overall... Uh, even though they won the set piece, they just didn't get the ball enough in the right part of the field to to really do much uh, against. I mean, they did a lot. They scored 33 points. But uh, in the end, Utah was more efficient with where they had the ball, and they scored. Um, but are the Free Jacks – does this mean I'm going to write off the Free Jacks? No. I, it makes me wonder how good Atlanta is, really. Like you talked about that last week. Yeah. How good is anyone? I mean, it's 
between week one and week two, the, the results were so different. Um, I don't know how you judge. I think you and I both tweet out power rankings in the middle of the week. I, I feel like my ranking is just going to be San Diego, Toronto, a big bunch of question marks, and then Austin. That's, that's where I, I just don't know what to make of the middle of the pack there. Yeah, the the interesting thing is if you look at the points table, well, the East is the East looks good. Um, that's right. Uh, yeah, um, Doug pointed out that Rooney had the reserves in for the at the fifty second minute. Well, they didn't have the reserve locks in. I will tell you that. <laughs> thank thank God they their locks went the distance. What reserve <laughs> locks? There's not, another, there's not another standing lock in the entire tri-state Jeff, area. Steve feels that last comment. Feels is, is really hard. <laughs> uh, James Sadler, uh, so many teams with injuries. Yeah, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of injuries. Uh, I think I don't know what this preseason was like because if you look, at, even though Seattle had a short preseason. They came into week one banged up. Oh, my gosh. They lost some guys in training. Uh, every team has lost a bunch of guys in training this year. I think this is say, this is showing us that we need – like 35-man squads probably isn't going to do it. If you can enter the season with 35 healthy guys, you better hope that you stay healthy if you're a 35-man squad. I think we're, I think we're at oh – man, even in season one, Utah used 45 dudes. Like, <laughs> you know, and that was an eight game season. Um, yeah. <laughs> moving eight game seasons. On. Remember those? <laughs> moving on to uh, game. Where, what the heck? Yeah, you got it. It's, it's uh, Austin, New York. Oh, Austin, New York. I don't know what. I did something here. Austin versus New York. That was, uh, no, that was something. Um,. The uh, I picked I picked New York, I picked Austin um because I picked New York on the show but on Super Bowl I, I, I did pick oh it worked for me the week before it worked yeah. for me the week before did not work for me this week I took a chance and guess what Austin not taking a chance until you win a game um so <laughs> I I will lose the game uh that I will be willing to lose the game that. You forced me to take a chance on you again, um, but they 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 showed some life, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually didn't think Austin looked terrible, but again, this, this all kind of plays into the who is it, who are these teams right now? But if you've looked at last year, at least New York was a very staunch defensive team, so scoring thirty-one points against New York is a good output, I I think. Um, Mason Peterson, the prop, had a great game. He. Uh, you know, everyone got pretty uh, riled up in the first couple of minutes when he laid out Basta. Uh, <laughs> the game. Too bad they were offside. Too bad oh. they were offside because that was a hell of a hit. Yeah. And that he, was he, a try later. Zinzan, Elon, Puttick, uh, I thought also had a great game at 10. It was, it was, a, it was a good week for fly halves overall, but, uh, you know, he had a good game. Halves, man. Oof, man, fly halves made – so I, I think it was a good game. I thought, yeah. So I think there's something to be said for Austin's performance, but New York really came back from wherever, you know. I don't know what ha- whatever they got lost last week, but they they seem to be found again this week. Yeah, Kyle Marsh, 
um, his ability to marshal the offense was really kind of missing in week one. They, they had nothing going and never tried anything. There was no ambition to their attack this week. I thought he you know, almost uniquely with ball in hand, he was running attack lines that was drawing defenders in and was making space for that first pass off him. And that enabled uh, the breakout of debut player, Troy Lockyer. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. He, he looked great. Two tries, almost a third where he ran good. the ball like 70 meters and got tackled within the five. Um but I think that was a lot of that was enabled by Kyle Marsh playing a much more savvy game than he did week one. So an exciting game. Is Troy Lockyer for real? Is Kyle Marsh back? Or was this just Austin a weak team uh, and New York was taking advantage? I still don't know about New York. And most of it's because they they have a lot of guys injured. Uh, apparently, uh, Will Leonard's is going to be out for three more weeks uh, due to a red card offense in week one. Um, that kind of sucks. Uh, he, he is a very good player. Uh, That's why Jack Leader's out because of Will Leonard's. Yeah, red well, there you go. There you go. Um, looking at Austin, statistically, they both, both these teams, both these teams are going to be sore. Uh, Austin had to make 174 tackles uh, and, New York had to make 160. Uh, so uh, the, the set piece was a little bit better uh, for for New York, but the biggest thing is they just they just took uh, the ball where they had it in space and they they used their set piece very well uh, when they had the chance. Uh, one of the things that really hurt the Gilgrot the the cocktails here was their lack of discipline, and I talk about the the a lot. Well, although they only conceded 11, two of these were yellow guards. Sione Fangawea and um, uh, Mikeli Mudu Naroma Itoga. Both had yellow cards in the first half. Uh, Mikeli's was at minute 39, so it carried into the second half for nine minutes. And, you, you know, that's sort of when New York started to drop the hammer quite a bit, um, and you didn't really see anything from Austin until the second half uh, when it came to them really doing stuff. Uh, I think their attack needs needs some work. Uh, their defense, I mean, at least they made the tackles. Uh, their defense, as far as containing guys, could get better. Uh, one of the guys that showed he was different, um, Penny Tagive. Uh, he had this chip kick that was collected by I forget who, but he ripped it out of the dude's hands. Yeah, he did it twice um, in like a three minute period. He ripped it out of one guy's hands, few phases pass, and somehow it came back his way. He ripped it out of another guy's hands. Um, all here in, in the last few minutes when it was probably out of reach, but you know those, that was some physical intensity that it's good to see on the Austin side. Yeah, um, Dean Ashton writes, do you feel Saturday games harm attendances? Quality marquee games, marquee names keep improving year from year. If a lot Saturday games don't harm attendances. Um, they're not. Uh, if you look at who's who, uh, I think most Americans are used to, uh, you know, college rugby being on or college football being on Saturday and professional football being on, you know, 
Sunday and Monday and some on Thursday. But if you look at Thursday games, tons of people go to those games. So uh, there will be a few weekends where we have a Friday game and there's going to be a weekend with a Monday game. And, you know, it's just about getting stuck in. Whether the game is on a Sunday or a Saturday, it's purely about marketing and outreach and promotion of the product. Uh, Being at a time that is not during club games can help, but you want to embrace the community structure, but you can't just rely on community rugby to support um, this league because it's just not going to work that way. There's not enough rugby people in this country to support a professional league. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully there will be enough soon. But I mean, I agree though with your with your answer. I think there's been games on Saturday, there's games on Sunday, there are occasionally weeknight games. I I don't think there's been a noticeable difference where Sunday games are well attended and Saturday games aren't. Yeah, it's much more city based. Certain cities seem to be drawing good crowds. Certain cities aren't. Uh, so I, I think it's my feeling is it's less to do with what day it's being played and more to do with where the stadium is and how the team is marketed relative to its local constituency. I will say based on local time. So the East coast teams, like every team is playing at least deep in the afternoon. It's either three or 4 PM local that the kickoff is in summer later. So, and that's the key point when you're trying to schedule around, you know, club rugby and youth rugby is to be later. So we have night games, we have, late afternoon games. So it's really all about, you know, what the market is and the awareness of the product in that market. Uh, you know, I think the one game where it was really bad was, uh, that Austin game in season one, which was on a Thursday. Hmm. And it was sort of like short notice. I mean, um, was it worse than Vegas? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure Vegas, uh, I don't know. Turned out, turned out to you know, beat anybody's records. Uh, so, yeah, uh, so moving on to game three, uh, the Houston Sabercats versus Toronto. Great effort from Houston. Houston is looking like they're achieving the promise that they seem to have had the first two years that they can never achieve. Um, I still think Toronto next to San Diego is the most well-rounded team, but Houston showed they can compete with anybody. Um and this is one of the games we mentioned at the outset where Houston had a huge mall. It seemed like the whole team was in that mall. Uh, in the, you know, 14 eight, players. <laughs> yeah. 82nd minute down five. So a successful grounding would have at least tied it with a chance to kick a conversion for the win. And they crossed the try line, but were ruled held up in the end goal. Uh, couldn't really see on TV, in my view, one way or the other. Uh, but no, I mean, no reason to believe the call was wrong. But you know, very exciting finish, and I think even in a loss, Houston should be uh, should be happy with that outcome. So, you know, what, what we ended up seeing here is Toronto be be very undisciplined. Uh, they committed sixteen penalties. They ended up uh, Mike Shepard, who is not a dirty player, uh, he ends up having a high tackle in the 80th minute and gets red, uh, which really sucks. Um, Game game wasn't over, but the game, like regulation time, was over. Uh, when it came to Toronto, like they went up seventeen to zero, very fast. Uh, there really wasn't much 
uh, going on with the Sabercats. Uh, thankfully, uh, Duet Ruse, their you know spark plug of a scrum half, basically took life into his own hands, chased down a you know Sam Windsor chip kick and, and scored their first try. He ended up having a really good game and just guiding this attack uh, physically and, and with his you know management at the breakdown and just moving them forward. Uh, with how they were playing the game, they just forced the Toronto defense to, to just make a lot of tackles. And that's how they got in. They played very physical rugby and, you know, just kept making the game line. And Toronto made 174 tackles in this game. They're retired. Uh, they did, Houston didn't win their own set piece, um, didn't win their lineouts. Uh, like when it came to, when it came to this. So the fact that they were in this overall, uh, really good for them. Uh, they're, they're also uh, duet. Uh, man, quick ball percentage. I think this is the fastest uh, percentage in the league um, so far. Sixty-seven percent. So they were running that attack very fast, and good for them because I think yeah. uh, Scotland tries to do like an eight, keep like having eighty percent quick ball percentage, two and a half seconds at a ruck. So they, they were able to just get the support they needed and then get service out. So. Uh, overall, really good performance. Uh, sort of a not good performance by Toronto, but they also did enough to win. Um, moving on to game four. This oh man, this was this was delicious. Hmm. Uh, Seattle loses away. They are on an zero and two stretch now, twenty two to twenty eight to Old Glory DC. Uh, there's a lot of commentary about this one. Um, ah. So I would say in general, the Seattle scrum was better, but it was very impressive to me what one man could do for a set piece attack uh, that the beast did on Sunday, because that the, the old glory scrum the week before was on roller skates the the gold could dictate and get a penalty every time they had a scrum and just you know work them um in, in this way at least on their own put-ins they had a stable platform after the third after the third scrum yeah you think that first scrum when uh old glory went backwards and beast got dumped right on his butt He's looking around like, oh god what decision did I make to come here <laughs> it's like I thought this would be easy what uh well, but yeah, after after the first few, they they settled in a little bit, and like you said, they they weren't winning, I and mean, they, they were the worst of the two teams scrummage wise. But compared to where they were, Old Glory were a week before. It was a huge improvement. So, um, thank you, Beast, uh, on behalf of Old Glory, and uh, not just for scrumming though. You know, very active. I'm sure Aaron's gonna gonna give you some oh, stats. Man. Very active um, in you know at the point of contact and. Uh, Probably you know, a lot of energy contributed towards a new look old glory that again, I mean, I think I put them last in my power rankings last week. <laughs> yeah. And now they came and outplayed Seattle for 80 minutes. And they, I think they really, to me, what, what really stood out uh, about old glory was they, they had a very uh, like unified, you know, good team effort. You know, every time, 
you know, in training, you talk about two man tackles and stuff like that. And to, to, to be able to deliver two man tackles to a ball carrier, the defense has to be in the right position. You have to have enough people. You have to be in the right spaces or else you run to mismatches. and You can't afford to send two people into the tackle. I swear every time Seattle had the ball, there was a two man up tackle at the line by old glory. They were just, they were working so well together and they had so much energy. Whereas Seattle seemed much more individualistic. I feel like there's a lot of Matt Turner out there. Uh, there was some JP, but you know, there, there was not the same building together. And I think that's what, uh, that's what's something this week. You know, I, I asked a, a group of our friends. I was like, I said, what is the worst sin a back could commit? That's what I asked, right? Other than just like, being a back, which you know. other, yeah, well, they're backs already. So, but they're they, right, they yeah. our friends were backs, so that's why we were asking because they're already, um, you know, they're already on a lost souls, you know. But uh, and because I feel like, well, I know how this game should have been. It should have been a fourteen. You play to win the game, as Herman Edwards says. It should have been like a 14-point win for the Seawolves. But, man, did they play bad. Uh, Knock-ons everywhere. Uh, You had some outstanding efforts by various players. Record Hatting had a really good game. Uh, You know, the pace that Nakai Penny had. uh, He chased down Mungo Mason. Uh, You know, sadly, he he tackled high. Uh, I think, you know, a fraction of a second uh, later when he initiates that tackle, he tackles perfectly, uh, but he ended up tackling high on Mungo Basin. But, like, you had a few guys that had good games, but you had guys have awful games. I think, you know, David Busby and Matt Turner are just pissed off because, uh, you know, more so it was like on a, it was a, it was a playable ball for Turner, but he ended up knocking it out of bounds backwards at the five meter line. Uh, Doug Fraser kicked through uh, on a chip and he was chasing and David Busby turned around and chase it and try and gain possession. And he ended up touching and putting it out of bounds at the five meter. And both those times that set up a set piece for old glory. And that's, I mean, that's sort of the theme in this game. There's the, the Seawolves set piece again, really wasn't good. Like their, their scrummaging platform was pretty good, but everything else was pretty rough. Um, I, th- I know I, I saw Scott Dean get some stick. I thought he had an okay game. It wasn't a bad game. Um, and he doesn't have, he hasn't been given the opportunity to take this level and improve with it. So, you know, with, with more game time at this level, I think Scott Dean improves, but it wasn't just like him. Like the, you know, you, you take a, a lot of players and other than like Brock Stoller and Reichert Hatting and, you know, not Kai Penny, a lot of people did not have good performances, just various turnovers. Uh, there, there seemed limited connection. The defense was very disjointed because if you look at even the way Old Glory was playing, it wasn't, in such a way that it kept the Seawolves out. And that's how the score ended because they weren't out. Like they were still in this game, even though they played extremely poorly. Uh, so, you know, I did like, I did like the pace. What, what was the, you have these in front of you. What, what was the quick ball rate for Danny Tusitala? Uh, let's find out. I did feel like the, the old glory pace was like very finely tuned. They, they kept it up, but they didn't go so fast. They started making mistakes. They just kept it up just enough to keep that pressure on Seattle and not let them 
you know, reform the defense. So the difference is, is kind of massive. Uh, with the with quick ball rate, uh, they were at sixty percent to to forty seven. Yeah, yeah, I think that was um, and that's of- that that and and quick uh, quick quick rucks is three seconds or less. Um, Seattle had thirteen percent at greater than six seconds. Um, the, the other thing, the old glory had four breakdown steals so that talks about, think about how much t- extra time they had 40% of their rucks at, at three to six seconds. So all that extra time allowed arrival of a jackal to come in. Um, you know, Jason Robertson jackal the ball, like, come on, like, you know, a back. How do you allow is that the greatest achievement? So it's the, the biggest sin of a back is, you know, m- missing a kick and knocking the touch is the greatest achievement poaching a ball from a ruck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it might be. Uh, the uh, You know, we talked about uh, set piece. So here's the difference. Although, you know, Seattle was much better in the scrum. They won 100% of the scrums and, you know, Old Glory didn't. They, they won 43%. But the difference was really just getting enough uh, with the beast. Um the difference in their set piece was Oglory had two lineout steals to one, and then Oglory's lineout, they had 92% success rate, and Seattle had 73. Um, we're talking about, at least in the first two seasons, what was one of the most accurate set piece attacks uh, in the league. Yeah. So, so yeah, good. Whoever, I think it was Doug Cole said in the beginning, you know, credit to Old Glory for a huge, and I think they had a good crowd too for the home opener. It's twenty eight hundred or, or something to that effect. They were sold out of seats. Um, so I think based on what I was watching, some people didn't come, but they bought tickets. So that that's a that's 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 key, right? Being able to sell out, and then the next thing is being getting your your people that buy tickets to show up also. Uh, I think that with the win, it really sets him up. Like I, I, I've said, I've talked to, you know, I talked to, you know, one of their owners, Chris Dunlavi, and they've, they've done, you know, they've done so much commercially. They will be, they are very successful right out of the gate, which is pretty awesome uh, for, for them as an organization away from the field. And then, you know, I think they, they will have a decent season. Especially with the beast here, I think their 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 set piece and their scrums will improve dramatically because I don't think, yeah, he probably didn't practice. They did a, a, a captain's run on Friday because he he left on when he left South Africa on Wednesday and got in, um, you know, got in on Thursday, went straight to the press conference for media day, and you know, what did a walkthrough on Friday. And you know, play the game on Sunday. So this week, I think with you know a couple training sessions in, he'll be able to you know help his the the young props. There's a lot of, uh, on the old glory team. There's a lot of young props, man. Like you know, we'll, I'll get into that. Que- there is a question about the old glory scrum later on, but yeah, yeah. We know Catholic University allows alcohol consumption. Yes, they do. Nice, good find, DC. Good find. They do. Uh, you know, th- we have this discussion about Catholic universities 
not allowing alcohol consumption versus not because trying to find certain venues to play games. Well, Torero allows alcohol consumption now uh, everywhere, not just the beer garden, which, oh man, that was a, everything I know about that was, that was tough. Um, ooh, sweet. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on to uh, game number five, Colorado versus San Diego. This one was uh, well, it was pretty much one-way traffic. Uh, Colorado did find some pace for a little bit, but they were they were kind of out there for a while. Yeah. So uh, I'll be honest. I only saw I, I was writing my column with this on in the background. I was only, <laughs> I was only half paying attention this morning. Uh, I think I saw Mika Cruze make a few nice plays. And other than that, in whatever you know, percentage of attention I dedicated to the TV, I only saw Legion with the ball. Uh, so not really a surprise. Um, Colorado's struggling here in the early going. I think it, it looks good. I, I, saw, I also saw Nick Boyer uh, in, Raptor, uh, in Raptor Blue. Hey, he started. Good for yeah. him. Good I think that's him. good. I think that was good. And I think Quinlan, I, in the little bit I saw, looked like he played a little better as well. Um, so, and Renee Ranger started obviously too. So I think a lot of those people that were subs in week one were, um, bigger factor, you know, bigger part of the game plan this week and tough, tough to measure yourself against San Diego who, you know, looks unbeatable right now. You know, it's, it's just one of those, you know, the, the scrum continues to have problems for Glendale. The set piece continues to have problems for Glendale. Uh, they, they didn't make the gain line a lot. They made the gain line 51% compared to 79% for San Diego. Uh, San Diego surprisingly, uh, you know, they really didn't have to play a lot of defense, I don't think. It only had to make 89 tackles. Uh, discipline. Wow. Like 17... 18 infringements, 17 penalties, and one free kick from from Colorado this week. I just, uh, um, you know, it's it's not helpful. Uh, you know, early on, uh, Kelepi Fafita got a yellow card uh, in this one, which put their scrum at a disadvantage because they had to put their back upon for 10 minutes, I think, and that created some problems. I don't know, man. It's it's not much. It's like San Diego is San Diego, and yeah, you don't know what to take from Colorado right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule right now. Like, when is the first San Diego match where I think they might lose? Uh, I'm curious. Let me see who they play here. So they have Free Jacks, then they go to New Orleans. All right, that that's a possibility there. Uh, then they host New York, go to Austin, host Old Glory. I, I mean, there's not many of these. I mean, like I'm I guess it depends on what does Atlanta look like after this week. You know, I mean, I don't know. They don't. San Diego does not play Toronto until May 10th uh, in Toronto. They don't play, so that's probably uh, they play. They're at Atlanta. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, that's right. So yeah, they're they're at Atlanta, Atlanta on the twenty sixth um, is the first. 
and, and you know, this week our prognostications could be just BS because everything could change because it's still, uh, we sort of talked about it. We're, we're not sure with the un- non-standard preseason, we're unsure if, if this preseason really prepared uh, most of these teams for um, Doug, I think that's administrative error because oh, yeah. they're hiding it. Pretty sure that's an administrative error because this they're week, Paul this Mullen. week they got the correct updated roster in before kickoff. So I, I don't know what that what that problem is. I think that was an administrative error. I think that will be fixed provided that Paul Mullen is not injured. <laughs> I like to think that he's in the witness protection program and they can't announce his name. Yeah, there, there's there's that. It was uh man. If you're not watching this on, on screen, Doug Coyle asked why Paul Mullen is not being announced as a starter, uh starting tight head for San Diego. And you know, the, the final one really is uh New Orleans versus Atlanta. <sighs> so it was rainy. Um the field was dread so the field was worse than how much rain was coming down because they had a lot of rain on Saturday. And shout out to Scott Alexander uh, for talking to the Gold Gold fan supporters group uh, led by Adrian Thompson. Uh, the uh, So I guess they are not going to be playing baseball in this facility anytime soon because they are yanking out the foul netting poles. And based on feedback from the fans, they aimed to do that this week. They had so much rain, they couldn't get a crane in there to yank out those poles because they needed, they're stuck in cement. So they needed a crane in there and then they needed to bring a cement truck in there to fill that stuff in. Who needs a crane? You have a rugby team. Come on, guys, get that pole out of there. Um, um, I think, uh, I think, yes, uh, I will. Uh, <laughs> unless, unless miraculously things change. Um, well, I, I I probably will, uh, but I think it'll be I think that'll be close. We'll get into that. Um, but overall, with this game, what what did you think? Um, I mean, I think rugby Atlanta looked very impressive. Um, obviously, most people were picking New Orleans. This this was my my super brew pick of the week here. That uh, moved up a little bit, though. I'm still I'm still chasing. Uh, the big guy from the uh, Rooney supporters group is, is ahead of all of us in our, in our league right now. But um, this pick uh, worked out well for me. I think this is the second of the new rivalries. If you want to look at it that way, um, you know, kind of the first being new England, New York, and this being now Atlanta, New Orleans, and in both cases, the incumbent team was expected to win this opening, and in both cases, the expansion team won. Um, I, I think part of that, I'm sure, has to do with a fired-up motivation of the underdog expansion team coming to the league. But I also just yeah, think yeah. rugby ATL is playing very well. You know, they got that, that first half against Utah in week one was shaky. I think they got those jitters out of their system. And they're playing a very connected game of rugby. I think they're also, you know, keeping the pace up. They're using, uh, you know, Kirk Coleman and Duncan Van Schalkwick are using kicks very well uh, to, to enhance their team's performance. And uh, Nola just didn't seem ready for how, uh, how effective Atlanta was going to be. 
And Sean Quick is putting it, I wouldn't say a quiet performance, but the last two games, man, he's he started to show why I guess he was called into camp as a nine. Because he was play he, he was one of the best fly halves in college rugby and then goes into Eagles camp last year during the ARC as a scrum half. And then when he played for the Life Seniors this fall, he played at Scrum Half and he is showing uh I guess MLR after dark per se, uh, that he is putting his hand up to play Eagle nine, which is really good for us. The fact that we have more, uh, qualified players, uh, American qualified players to play nine because yeah. for, for a moment, everyone's like wondering, Oh, Sean Davies is retiring. So it's going to be De Haas and who else? Well, uh, you know, because Boyer, Dick Boyer, you know, wanted to, wanted to start at nine, and he will probably start at nine for Glendale or Colorado the rest of the way. Uh, you know, you're going to have this battle of American-based nines with their hand up between Augsburger, who uh, you know he's he's playing he's playing some great rugby, uh, right? He he finished last season playing some great rugby. Didn't get didn't get to play a lot in the World Cup. Sadly, uh, I think he should have uh, played more. Um, but he's. It's continuing to show why he's the top uh, American base nine, but Van Schalke's playing very good. Yeah, there's a lot of competition right now, and there's a lot of good scrum half play in MLR this season. But I, I think Augsburger and I think Augsburg and to me and Van Schalke are probably the top two in yeah. in these first two weeks. Yeah, they, in this game, they're just when after that one try. Uh, which they did off like three uh, Atlanta committed two penalties on the line out, giving them the third attempt with the set piece. After that, New Orleans had almost no attacking presence uh, inside the Atlanta 22. Uh, when they got close, they coughed the ball up. And I think that, you know, part of that was uh, the dampness uh, in the air and on the pitch and, uh, Atlanta had a lot of turnover problems, but they didn't have nearly as many. And when they got uh, into, uh, you know, inside between the 10 and the 22, New Orleans was undisciplined and they commit penalties. Uh, there was there was a yellow card, which should have gone to somebody else, um, but was taken by Tim Maupin, sadly. Um, Kyle, um, you owe Tim money. <laughs> telling you right now, you owe Tim money because that was your yellow card. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, they just committed penalties in the wrong part of the field. And Kirk Coleman, you know, made him pay with his boot, but he, his passes were great. There was, there was the fly halves this week were great. I ugh. like even the, the guys that played fly half for losing teams play great. Like, I haven't seen this good a fly half play across the league like we saw this weekend ever. I mean, yeah. yes, it's a young yes, it's a young league, but you don't see this like comparatively this good a fly half play where almost every fly half in the prem has a good game. Not every fly half in the prem has a good game. Basically, every fly half in in MLR had a good game this year this week. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, with a couple of, you know, I think that's by and large right. And and I think it bodes very well for the future too, because I think when people, their perception of the quality of overall play, a lot of times the, the, 
easiest first blush at it is what's visible through the scrum half and the fly half. I mean, when they're making skip passes into open spaces or they're breaking lines, that's what shows up right away. And it's very apparent uh, as a skill, you know, increase or decrease as those things increase or decrease. So, you know, this, I think week two, there was even to me a visible improvement over week one in terms of, I don't think week one we had a lot of good fly out play. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think week one was the week of the eights. The eight men went nuts in week one. And then this week was the week of the fly halves. And I think that's a good building, though, because the fly have is a little more complex need. Um, so hopefully that's a, a preview of the rest of the season where the play is going to get more skilled and more nuanced and more complex and executed better. Good thing. I mean, Atlanta, you had Ross Deacon in number another number eight. He played pretty well. Atlanta, even though they their defense in this game, very good. Um, they, although their discipline wasn't nearly as good as it could have been, I think they're starting to kind of find their stride. They, you know, they won two games uh, right now, and then they go home and they're going to host New York. It, it, if you're Scott Lawrence, uh, you're liking where you're at. Uh, to start the season, the, oh, here's, the here's the thing: they're doing this. Perf- they're performing like that away with depth issues. Like they have some injuries that they're they're nursing, and you know if they get some of these players back, they have a. I would say they have a relatively shallow roster for for being a new team, and I think all the new teams have a shallow, shallow rosters. In fact, I think most of the teams this year just because the talent got spread out across the league that we don't have nearly as deep rosters as we previously had. And the teams that did have deep rosters, they got the injury bug pretty bad. So they're not nearly as deep as they should be. Um, except, except San Diego. San Diego has 23 other guys. They, they are not injured. Apparently <laughs> like they're kind of fit. Everyone's like, where's Joe Peterson? And he said last week, he's like, you know, precautionary had a little niggle, just hold me out. Well, they didn't need him. Um, think, think about this. If you don't need Joe Peterson and you don't need Mikey Teo, like, cause Dylan Owsley played full, fullback and played great. Like, great. So, you know, they, they have a lot of kickers on that team, which is crazy, but uh, we're going to move on to uh, a review of our picks. Uh, New England. Yeah, butchered this. I had New England minus eight. Never again, New England. What was yeah. I thinking? Uh, Ags at New York. I, yeah, should have stayed with that one. Um, I, I, sw- I, I did my Super Brew choice of the week, and it destroyed me. Uh, <laughs> went with the Ags minus two. I just had some hope that there was hope and didn't work out so well. Uh, we did not butcher this one, thank God. Um, Houston, I, oh man, Liam was close. He had Toronto minus three. I had Toronto minus eight, and Craig, you had him minus eleven. Uh, also butchered this one. Um, none of us were close. Uh, we all picked Seattle, all in double digits. And uh, Old Glory won by six. So there you go. Uh, game five, we all expected a blowout. Um, Colorado at San Diego Legion. I had San Diego at minus 18. You had San Diego minus 15. Uh, Liam minus 19. It was 29, 27, something like that. 
Um, and then Atlanta at New Orleans. Uh, you had Atlanta minus. I don't think. Did you? No, you did you? I need to check the tape. Did you actually pick them on the show, or did you just write I did. that? In? Yeah, I picked them on the show. Oh, oh my gosh! I didn't uh, put that in that script. You wrote that in there. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I picked them on the show. And I, I actually upped it for Superbird too. I, I put Atlanta by three on Superbird, so I got the uh, I got the margin point as well. Mm. All right, so moving into week three preview, I think. What do you think about this game? Uh, Saturday, six p.m. New Orleans Gold at Colorado. I think uh, New Orleans played very well the first game, uh, especially now that we see how good Old Glory could be. Uh, I, I'm not sure they came fully prepared for this uh, rugby ATL team, but I do think they'll come prepared for Colorado. Colorado not playing great. Um, so I, I think even on the road, New Orleans going to win this one. I'm going to say New Orleans by 10. I think I'm going to go – I I think they're going to win. I think I'm going to go single digits, uh, converted try, nothing. Uh, Colorado's struggling uh, all over the field. Uh, and Nate Osborne and that team are going to want to get back on the right footing uh, for the rest of the season. And, you know, there is blood in the water uh, with Colorado being 0-2 on the trot. So, uh Yeah. I think I'm going to go with the gold. Uh, didn't they win up there last year? Like yeah. going away. Like going away. Um, so game two uh, on Saturday, uh, Utah Warriors at Ags. Uh, yeah, uh, Utah. Utah by twelve. You heard Aaron's pronouncement. He'll, he'll never pick the Ags again. Um, I I do. I am going to take Utah. Uh, I think. You know, it's Austin is getting there. They're, they're sorting things out, but Utah seems to be sorting it out faster. Um, but I'm going to go – I'm going to say it's a little closer. I'm going to say uh, Utah by six. So this next one gets tough. Um, does the Beast get bedded in, and can, can he do enough uh, taking his squad – to Houston and beats Houston. I I think they they can, but I think this is a narrow Houston victory because I I, I think they showed this week that they can grind they they can kick up tempo, they can wake up and play a very fast and rapid style of play, which and and they have a very solid set piece in scrum. Mm-hmm. So I would say Houston minus three. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is this is probably. I think there's a lot of tough ones this week. This is maybe the toughest one for me. Um, yeah, Old Glory completely beaten senseless week one. Huge upset week two in their favor. Um, I think on the road, I'm gonna have to give this one to. The home team, Houston. You said by three. Uh, okay, I'll say uh, I'll say Houston by five. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I, I think that's about right. Uh, so game four, also so front loaded for uh, 
for the uh, Saturday uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern. We've got Toronto at Seattle. Uh, so the Seawolves are limping in. Um, their set piece is struggling. And, you know, you, you just don't know. Um, right? Yeah, I, but I think there are some things working in Seattle's favor here. I think this is a lot of travel for Toronto. You know, the travel's mounting here. Um, I think they, what are they been? Texas, Vegas, and now Pacific Northwest. So that's a lot of travel. They are 2-0, so they're probably starting to feel a little comfortable, whereas Seattle are going to be desperate for a win. Um, so I, all that said, I think it may be – and Seattle beat, if I remember, Seattle beat Toronto at home last year in a pretty close one. Um, still, I think I'm going to take Toronto, but I think it's going to be closer than you know maybe the average margin might break here. So I'm going to say Toronto by three. So I think losing Shep is a problem because he is such a high work rate player. Uh, you know, where's like really where's, the red card, you mean? Yeah, yeah, for the red card. Um, so they'll lose him for a couple of weeks, but Seattle on their heels. I think they want to they want to come out strong, but they they've still got injuries. That it was interesting. So Billy was on the bench as a hooker. Uh, he is a converted hooker. He he was previously a hooker in college, and now he plays back row. Well, they don't have another hooker right now. So he's playing hooker. Um, this one's difficult, but I, I, I'm with you. I think Toronto wins. Uh, I'm going to say four. And they're going to want to, like, they're going to want to avenge that loss from last year um, in the playoffs away. So it's, it's that's a really tough one. Uh, to pick, but, um, I'm t- I'm tempted to change my picks to Toronto to uh, Seattle, but I, I might. I, Toronto. I you know as I said last season, yeah. as I said last season, I reserve the right to change my pick on Super. Yeah, me too. Super <laughs> if I if if the rosters are completely different, uh, yeah. you know, on you know, yeah, I like guess three. Thursday or Friday when they come out, then you know I might. It depends. Yeah, um, I, it's like a it's a contest. How much I can balance the annoying Subaru emails Wednesday afternoon. Pick your teams. It's a, you're running out of time. Like it's Wednesday, Subaru. Calm down. Yeah. And uh, the lineups don't, the lineups don't cover an hour before the game. Subaru's going to be 26 emails by then. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to game five, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, New York at Atlanta. Uh, New York's tough, man. They, they got thumped by New England. Then we saw New England get beat by Utah. Granted, they were under strength, but Atlanta's two games up against solid opponents. Um, and, yeah, they, they put up a lot of points against the the Ags. Why do – but I, I think I will do home side minus seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a hard pick. Uh, Greg McWilliams, great guy, friend, respect his coaching. He's a great coach. Uh, Scott Lawrence, also a great coach, friend. Uh, you know, it's I'm, I'm flipping a coin, but I, I just the f- unless Atlanta got a bunch of injuries that we didn't see 
Uh, I think I'm going to favor them. Uh, we'll see um, with with New York, but I, it, it's going to be tough. Um, and it could be – I think the margin is no more than seven for whoever wins. But I'm, I'm going to pick Atlanta this week. Yeah. Yeah, I said I'd love to pick New York here. I, I was texting some of the New York booster uh, boosters before this to uh, said, you know, walk me through a case why New York's going to win this one. I just, I think right now I have a feeling that as goes Troy Lockyer for the rest of the season may, may be the way that New York goes. Troy Lockyer, uh, man. Oof. Yeah, I mean, if, he, if he's a fine that – Turns out to be like the Brad Tucker of this year, just a guy not on the map that turns out to be dominant. Then New York may ride that really, uh, you know, ride that very far into the year. He had 175 meters made. What? He did have that one funky pass, though, early on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about this guy. I don't know what that pass was. And then he proceeded to light it up the rest of the day. But, um, you know, there was no, no one knew that. Now, no, our Atlanta will have a week to to game plan for that. Um, and going down to Atlanta, I, I just I feel like Atlanta's going to win this one. If I'm being honest, so I'm going to say uh, Atlanta by five. Yeah, I agree with that. So moving on to Game Six at 7 p.m. Eastern, New England at San Diego. Uh, that's an easy pick for me, man. Uh, Legion yeah. by 14. Yeah, it was an easy pick week one against New York, too. Uh, but I agree. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to – I don't know who's going to play for New England or what to expect. But, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing has led me to believe that anybody's beating San Diego right now. So I'll yeah, go yeah. – uh, I'll say San Diego by 22. This is a prove it. Uh, the, you have to beat San Diego for me to believe you can beat San Diego. Uh Moving on to questions from Bob. Uh, first question from Kenny Fallon. All three expansion sides have wins against quality teams. Does that say more about the expansion teams or early season rust from the established teams in the league? Uh, both? Yeah, I think we addressed this a little bit already. I think there is rust due to a, a short and not very um, – whatever preseason existed was mostly against club sides as opposed to other MLR-level sides. So I think there is some rust from that. But I, I think it's – it'd be foolhardy to look at these three expansion teams and not say they're a quality side after what we've seen. Yeah. Um, James Sadler, why are so many teams having issues with visa approval? <laughs> I mean, legally, I can tell you that percentages for P1A approval across it, not just this sport, but elite athlete visa approvals outside of baseball and hockey are going down. Yeah. Very down. Um, so, like, the – I talked about this a few episodes ago. Basically, you need to be a senior-capped player – from from your country, A side don't work. Uh, you need to play in Division One um, of your professional competition with a resume of a, a considerable amount of games to prove you are an elite athlete. Uh, and you know some of these guys that have come in um, weren't um, of that level. And I just think it's going to get tougher and tougher as the 
the you know time goes currently with the way this administration is tightening up visa uh you know visa approval processes so um for some of these guys that got delayed well some of them weren't actually signed in the i would say on time period uh which would have been you know mid mid to late summer they were like the beast was like signed in october so his visa was actually approved pretty fast yeah i I mean i hate to I hate to say it, but I think this is the reality and it's not going to change anytime soon that visas are difficult to get. I mean, my, yeah, people here, my friends, I have a friend, Graham from your rugby club who, you know, went back home for a vacation or I forget the exact cause, but he couldn't even get back. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to get visas right now for everyone uh, for any reason. So it's just the, the political climate we live in, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Scott Krasinski, why does OG scrummaging suck so bad? Well, not not anymore. No, I mean, <laughs> I think it's very difficult to diagnose a specific reason if you're not in the scrum, you know, or, or right up next to it. I think there are some warning signs. You know, it looks to me like their lock pairing is getting split and driven back pretty quickly in the scrum, you know, you want to see, I mean, you want to see those tight five, especially bound very closely with no space between them. And when you're scrumming in opposition to that, you want to, you know, particularly your tight head typically wants to kind of create separation by driving between, you know, the prop and the hooker. And then, you know, that pressure causing separation of the locks that, that first scrum you saw in this game where, where uh, Matawarira beast got, got dumped backwards you saw like he basically fell back over the locks who were you know either on the ground already or you know were, were in the process of falling and they, they looked like they had completely split um before the props had um but i mean that's one scrum and- strength and conditioning locks get in the gym now um you know i i i Probably to the chagrin of Warren and Larry, our friends in the second row, I blame locks a lot for bad scrum stuff, especially when scrums get pushed back. Um, You know, tightness of binds, like how tight your type five is, it's called type five for a reason. So if you're, as Craig said, if your locks are like actually split uh, when they're getting set, that is a problem. Uh, One of the other things to talk about is cadence. So who's leading the cadence of the scrum? Maybe, uh, you know, I think some things got fixed. I think Beast had a talking with Nikali and Nakatini. And the thing, like, there was a lot more stability on that that third scrum going forward. And and the, the other big thing is, if you look at their props, you have Will Vakalahi, uh, Gordon Fullerton, they got a bunch of props that are under the age of 22. Yeah, and they're uh, not, you know, they're not international caps, so, like most props are. So, one of, the, one of the things that the beast is going to bring to this team is teaching those kids proper footwork because uh, you could have strong locks, but if your props have very bad footwork, it doesn't matter how much they squat, their form is going to dictate uh, whether you go forward or backwards, and because. If, they're, if they don't have their center of gravity in the right place over their feet, uh, you, you, it will collapse. Um, yeah. that's, it's just that that is simple. And I think 
um, it, it will change going forward with the beast and the young guys playing tight head and the loose head behind him and the hookers they have will get better. And then their locks, like, I think the biggest thing was cadence and their cadence was completely off. Uh, because once the beast was like, no, we're going to do this and they did it and they didn't get throttled, they got beat, but they didn't get throttled like they did against new Orleans. And that was the big change. So, um, it will get better. Uh, but you know, technical coaching, full-time environment, that's how you upgrade this stuff. And guys who are 21 playing, you know, like, I guess, Chiefs U20s or Waikato U20s or something, it's not necessarily the same at this level because the guy, like, Gordon Fullerton is, like, scrummaging against uh, a Canadian captain or national and the judge. Yeah. Who, you know, has played in the Prem, has played in the championship. I think he played on every team. I'm, as I'm thinking about it right now, I think every team has at least one international front row of, you know, until Beast came there, other than DC. Yeah. So, is there a team that doesn't have one? As I'm trying to think here, Austin, I guess. Uh, uh, well, no, Mason Pedersen's a USA select. He's captured, though. <laughs> um, yeah, not LaRome White. He's a USA select, I think. Um, yeah. Most teams, though, have. International. Cap. Oh, they have Echevarria, the Uruguay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Rick Meyer, what happened to the Sea Wolves? I think we we sort of talked about that. Man, they just they couldn't hold on to the dang ball. They they played really bad. Um, I think there's a lack of connection. I think that the team is going to look at that film and they're going to get fired up and they're going to get on on the same sheet of music for this week and it's going to be. I guess a war or a battle. Apparently we can't use words to describe combat in rugby anymore because I'm okay rugby is that. nothing like war. Apparently my column today, I compared the entire old glory and Seattle game to a Spartan phalanx. So uh, obviously it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But yeah, so there's uh yeah, I, I will make this point to Rucky. If you look at, if you looked at their in season one and season two, they had a rough start to both seasons. So this isn't abnormal. They were two and two to start the last season. So, uh, you know, just getting their feet under them. And this is this probably, on three. Yeah. This probably has to do with uh, their short preseason. Um, so they basically have to play like four MLR level games to get their feet under them or their flippers. Their flippers. Under them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so the last question from La Rouge Rugby Podcast, our friends uh, Daniel Murphy and Derek Brissett, uh, who are the top free agents from Championship Rugby that might make the trip back to North America after the news of the cuts? Must be North American. I have some names. Yeah, I mean, I, I assuming free agent just means who might become a free agent and therefore come back to the U.S. These people are not currently free agent. No, um, they're currently under contracts. Yeah, but the, well, the, the first, well, person somebody else, mind, first person that jumps to mind is, is Will McGee. Obviously just went over there, had been MLR the first two seasons. Um, so, you know, he, yeah. he, got, he would obviously be welcome back. Though, as we said, there's been a lot of fly-have talent this week. I think – you know, we were talking about it off the show, 
is that although there was good fly half play, I don't think we have depth, especially, or maybe we have a lot of depth now that now well, lack of American qualified depth is yeah. the problem. Cause you've got Luke Burton. I think he's South African, but he was qualified for Australia. I'm not sure. Luke Burton, Kurt Coleman, Tomas Quinlan, Cahal Marsh. Uh, you know, there's a lot of foreign tens in the league. And I think if we could bring over specifically American, cause we're American show, but uh, like Will McGee, if Will Hooley got a good offer, him coming and playing, that would be cool. I think he's actually on a two-year contract with Bedford. Pretty sure. Maybe not. I mean, um, think of Will McGee as the 10 for Seattle this week. Like how much – I feel like that would be the thing. I, I, if that were true, if I waved the magic wand, you tell me Will McGee was playing 10 for Seattle, I'd be picking over Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Um, but the names that I had, and I said, I said, I said, we have a famous name. Famous name is Bukabom. So if you if you if anyone doesn't know who the Buka bombs are, um, there is a Tyson Buka bomb in, that plays for the women's team, but everything's falls into the former hockey great Jeff Buka bomb. There are the Buka bomb family is a very big hockey family, but also apparently a very big Canadian um, rugby family. But Trevor Buka bomb. Or no, not Trevor Buchenbaum, but Brett Buchenbaum, who is playing for the Cornish Pirates. How uh, he got left out by Kingsley, I'll never know. Uh, Shane O'Leary uh, coming back, or, or is another uh, Canadian name I would bring in. Um, ben Landry. Ben Landry, who's kind of out there. I don't know what he's up to. Um, he's not he's under the contract. Bradley, but well. he's if we could get him back in. I mean, there's some some teams that need a lock. There's actually a few teams that need a lock. Uh, I'm New York, Ben. We'll take you. Greg Peterson, maybe. It depends on uh, you know if he if he gets if he gets to stay if they get pulled up. I think he signed a two year deal last year before they went down. So maybe he's going up. He's going to be promoted with the Newcastle Falcons. I'm not sure, but. Um, you know, he would be another guy to bring in. So uh, I think we about covers it. Um, thank you, Rocky. We love your work too, especially the minis. I need to buy the. I need to buy one of those because apparently we do uh, stuffed animals in this house. You need to buy one of those too. When is the stuffed rooster gonna come out for New York? At least, at least Seattle has their merch on point. Yeah, I don't know about the stuffed rooster though. I, I have seen drawings for a um, rooster eating a pancake T-shirt that's going to be designed for the New England game in New York. Uh, about well, I, I saw that. Oh, I need I need to get one of those. Yeah. Roosters eating the flapjacks or something to that effect. So, all right, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, thank you for coming on, Craig. And uh, you know, we don't have Liam on here, but. That was probably a good thing because we're at 120 or not 100, but an hour and 22 minutes. So uh, thanks for staying on for everyone that uh, was on and uh, we'll see you next week. Good night. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby.
Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.